the risky Surface Duo from Microsoft, and more coming up on today's episode of... Hey, Gadgeteer, you're just in time for the latest episode of the world's only 3-in-1 show on tech, gadgets, and gaming news. That's right, this is the latest in tech news. If you couldn't see it from the intro, and you're listening from audio, we, you know this is the latest in tech news. My name is Taylor Merrick. Uh, that much you might not have known if you're new, but now you know, so you're informed. Um, if you're new here, I, I'm usually not this off-the-cuff with the intro, I'm usually more composed, uh, full shizzle. Um, it's, today's been a goofy day. So, uh, <laughs> if you're new here and you're, uh, watching or consuming the content in whatever medium you are, hit that follow, hit that subscribe button. And uh, if you're enjoying the content, give it a like, give it a thumbs up, give it a review. It'll be greatly, greatly appreciated. As well as a share if you feel it's share worthy. And if it's not, I got a caveat for you. Let me know in the comment section if you're watching, if there is a comment section available, or on Twitter, we are at Tech News Gadget, just why you weren't able to share it. And uh, I'll see what I can do to make sure it is shareable. So what are we going to be covering today? Well, our uh, feature story is, uh, well, Microsoft having really nothing to fear with a Surface Duo, except it's price, maybe a couple other factors, but we'll be getting into that. We're also going to be looking at the 2021 Game Developers Conference, trying to go for like a, a physical event, uh, but like a hybrid model, so it'll be like partly physical, partly digital. We'll be seeing how that goes. CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, that's usually held in Las Vegas in January of every year annually uh is looking at doing an all digital event so we'll be getting into that we'll also be taking a look at a case crawler adding robotic legs to your iphone so that your phone can charge itself it's interesting um i wanted to make sure i covered that just for fun of i don't know whatever entertainment value you might get out of it uh we'll also be taking a look at floppy disks still being used to update 747 flight software i'm not kidding you these big, massive planes that are still flying around still operate off of a floppy disk. It's 2020. What is wrong with you? We'll also be taking a look in the uh, gaming world at G.I. Joe Operation Blackout coming soon. Interesting. I will say I have a couple thoughts on that I wanted to share. And finally, we'll be taking a look at the Ghost of Tsushima, the highest rated game of the, um, well, current generation before we switch on over to the next one, but we'll be getting into that in just one second, and uh, just uh, wanted to give a shout out to you, the viewer. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know I've been gone for a while, but uh, looking at uh, the people who tuned in to yesterday's show, really, really appreciate it. Appreciate the feedback. Um, I'm always available. Technewsgadget at gmail.com if you want to send an email. We are at Gadget on Twitter if you want to send a message there. Stop by the website, leave a comment on the live show, the YouTube video, however you want. Uh, the show was built with you in mind. I want to make sure I'm giving you the latest in-tech news that you're interested in. And uh, it, it really depends on a day. So uh, really appreciate you tuning in. Really appreciate your feedback. Uh, and uh, 
Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and sharing this show. So, let's hop into today's feature article. Okay, so Microsoft Surface Duo is a dual screen risk that might pay off. Just don't call it a phone. And uh, we actually have the image right here. It's kind of interesting. Uh, indeed, it is interesting. And uh, Microsoft is kind of nervous about this, and rightfully so. That much was clear from an early morning virtual briefing, which saw the company trot out select team members team members to discuss the upcoming not a phone, not a tablet, definitely not a foldable Surface Duo. The dual screen device, a stark departure from the Lumia phones that tried and failed to pave the way before it, is clearly a gamble for Microsoft and a Surface line. After all, it is the company's first smartphone effort since it abandoned Windows 10 back in 2017. And that's not conjecture either. Panos Panay, the company's chief product officer, said as much several times, referring to the Duo as a risk, but one that he hopes will enable the next wave of mobile computing. So, um, they're kind of hedging their bets there. Um, the Duo, which runs on Android 10, um, and delivers an experience that should be familiar to anyone who's opted into Google's mobile ecosystem is unlike other more daring mobile form factors that we've come to know and not necessarily love within the past two years, um, that specifically meaning uh, Samsung's imperfect and expensive Galaxy Fold, the Galaxy Z Flip, and the rebooted Razer from Motorola. Now, neither of the devices so far managed to really catapult the mobile category forward, owing to the novelty inherent in those designs, not to mention the eye-popping price tags so why does Microsoft expect its fortunes to be any different? Well, for one, the Duo's design tends itself to be the sort of multi-screen multitasking we're all guilty of in 2020. And it does that without a bendable slash breakable screen. So with the Duo, we're looking at two separate 5.6-inch 1800 by 1350 displays, 401 PPI, that spread out into a considerable 8.1-inch 2700 by 1800 display when unfolded. They're connected by a 360-degree hinge that allows for the device to be folded into several postures, as Microsoft calls them. You can do it, open it in single-screen mode with one display folded back, spread open for the full two-screen experience, flip back as a kickstand for gaming or streaming, or even at 90 degrees for a la landscape laptop-like feel. So... It's kind of interesting. If you're worried about the uh, foldable mechanisms on it, don't panic. They're not really worried about it. Um, uh, the CVP of design for the product said it, it should last roughly until the human is tired of folding. Um, adding, I think the human will give up before the device breaks. So they're pretty confident in the design. But let's talk about the price because that's really what people are interested in here. When Samsung unveiled its first Galaxy Fold, eyed, eyes bulged and wallets brayed at the insane $1,980 price tag. To be clear, Microsoft has mostly avoided that particular Achilles heel by offering the Surface Duo at a starting price of $1,400. And there is some precedent for this laptop-like pricing. It's $100 less than a fully kitted out iPhone 11 Pro Max, so it's not like Microsoft is asking too much here. Now, for that amount, you're getting 6 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of storage that can be bumped up to 256 gigs. So, um, 
yeah, there's some bad news and good news with it. Uh, let's see, no support for 5G. Um, don't expect a top-notch cameras, as that's not really their focus. Um, and those are, but those are really the only two dings um, with any device of this size. And certainly one running multiple apps at once. Battery life is kind of a concern here. It's unclear if the dual 3577mAh battery powering the dual will be enough to get most users through a day. Um, but we'll have more of a clear idea once testing. But according to Microsoft, this should net users all day of battery life, which works out to about 15 and a half hours of video playback, 10 days of standby, and up to 27 hours of talk time. So, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I think I might have looked at this yesterday and went, well, the screen looks really nice. Um, it looks crisp. Colors are good. Uh, yeah, um, but it is a Microsoft product with an Android heart. The Duo will be shipped with a bunch of preloaded apps from both companies, uh, and none that you'd necessarily deem bloatware. You'll have the usual suite of Google mobile apps being Gmail, Search, Drive, alongside Microsoft's own, including Office, Outlook, Teams, and more. So, yeah, what do you guys think? Interested in the Surface Duo? I mean, it's a risk. That much I will say. Uh, and image-wise, we're looking at a couple different layouts. We're looking at it side-by-side. Side. We're looking at it in a single-view mode. So yeah, are you willing to risk it? You'll have to exercise a wee bit of patience. The Duo isn't set to ship until September 10th. And when it does hit retail, however, you won't find it locked to any one carrier. The $1,399, $1,400 starting Duo is compatible with Verizon. AT&T, and T-Mobile. Now, the question is, are you willing to risk it? So, my thoughts on this, I, I like it. Um, it, They might just be able to pull it off. And Microsoft's known for that from time to time. Uh, I, it's interesting. I'll just have to say that. We'll see how it goes. So, uh, I'm interested in your thoughts and what you think. If you're watching a live show, let me know. If you're watching this via YouTube, let me know in the comment section. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can either send an email, technewsgadget at gmail.com, or we are on Twitter. We are at technewsgadget. All right. Moving on to the next article we got lined up for today. And by the way, you might have heard the word podcast. Yes, that's right. Head on over to latestintechnews.com to subscribe in the podcast player of your choice, however you want to consume the content. All the information is on there that you need, including the show notes. Although, keep in mind, you can always visit technewsgadget.net for any of the article links for any of the show episodes, including today's. That's at technewsgadget.net. So, all right. With the pandemic kind of still going on, people still freaking out about stuff, I'm not going to get political. It's I'm bumping the screen. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to contain myself here, but I am going to give GDC a hesitant thumbs up for this decision. I don't think they're really risking too much. I think it'll be just fine, <clears throat> but let's just jump into the article. The 2021 Game Developers Conference will try to go physical again, but now in July. 
So last month, the world's biggest tech show announced that CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, would go online only in 2021. <laughs> Ironically, I could attend. This is the one time I won't be able to attend, finally. Woohoo! CES, keep in mind, is journalist-only entry. It is not open to the public. We'll see how it goes. Um, they're hoping that uh, the companies and journalists won't have to brave Las Vegas in January alongside whatever else might still be going on. Uh, but the Game Developers Conference, GDC, just announced it isn't following suit. It'll be holding a hybrid event taking place physically in San Francisco that also includes a robust virtual offering. Well, it's not yet clear how robust the virtual portion will be. GDC 2021 does have one thing going for it right away. It'll be held July 29th. July 19th to the 21st of next year, instead of the typical March time frame. Uh, so they're just bumping it out a little bit. Um, so it, it, it might be a larger gathering. It might be a smaller event. GDC has never been known as a showcase for big game industry announcements. Developers have sometimes resented it when companies use the show for that purpose. It's really interesting kind of event. Um, so we'll see how things go. Now, in the wake of GDC's Makeup GDC Summer virtual event, it sounds like organizers intend to keep the virtual ball rolling this year, too, with a set of virtual GDC masterclasses that will offer day-long deep dives into game development later this year. So, they intend to fill the March 2021 hole that GDC is leaving with a GDC community celebration. Quote, finally, a week-long single-track community celebration will run from March 1st, 1st, through March 5th, 2021, which will stream behind-the-scenes lectures on top games of the past year, high-profile talks, Q&As, and more interactive content. Organizers will extend invitations to speakers to present talks and Q&As with the lineup and sponsorship programs to be confirmed over the coming weeks and months. Now, keep in mind, GDC is really more of an event geared towards game developers. It's part of the name. So if you're into games, game design... Uh, companies of that nature wanting to figure out some new technology, some new engine, some new angle to take for video games. Um, there, there's all that. Um, GDC is promising more info on the hybrid event, including instructions for companies that want to attend in the near future. Sounds like the idea is still very much coming together, so don't be surprised if plans change. Be flexible with it. But uh, hopefully by 2021, things will be settled down more and resuming more of a normal state. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Seeing if anything cool and interesting comes out of GDC 2021. How about you? You guys interested? Oh, no, I am. I'm hoping someone comes out. That's good. I mean, I've been sick and tired for like the past five months of virtually no event or, or, or game announcement or things of that nature coming out. Mine's a couple big industry breaking news and, and games um but it's really been a slow boring year what do you guys think i think it's been a slow boring year not really anything interesting we we're kind of gearing up for a lot of interesting things and then it just went all on hold so um hopefully we'll start getting that as the rest of the year carries along growing into next year but uh we'll see how it goes okay on to our next article. Um, <laughs> if you're wondering what I'm laughing at, um, you're totally missing the video aspect that goes along with this show. If you want to watch live, head on over to te 
twitch.tv slash technewsgadget. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can head on over to youtube.com forward slash technewsgadget to get the full show. But um, keep in mind, uh, the Twitch show is weekdays at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. So um, you be- you'd have better luck tuning into the YouTube channel than you would Twitch. Unless you like hanging up and chilling out in the evenings, um, you could do that. But uh, we got an article coming to us from Gizmodo. Uh, this phone case gives your phone robotic legs so that it can crawl to a wireless charging pad. It's the goofiest thing that I've seen. Um, but by now, our brains are kind of all wired with that smartphone battery anxiety. You know, the kind of anxiety that one feels when you're like, my battery's running low, my battery's running low, my battery's running low. Well, when your panic button starts to set in when power drops below 50%, <laughs> well, worry no more. In one of the more bizarre ways to keep those stresses at bay, a team of researchers have developed a new smartphone case with a set of tiny robotic legs that allow a phone to crawl to a wireless charging pad whenever it's set down on your desk. And it's we got the video proof of it right here. If you think I'm making this up, it's right here. Um, robotic researchers from the Biorobotics Laboratory at Seoul National University adapted an existing crawling robot to create the case crawler. Like the battery cases from companies like Mophie, the case crawler adds a bit of bulk to your smartphone, about 16 millimeters on the end that houses the prototype's electric motor. Um, and if ever put into production, the case could definitely be streamlined and further trimmed down, but it's quite impressive given the case crawler features a set of retractable legs with a one-way bending knee so that when they move in one direction, they push against the ground and propel the robot forward. When moving in the opposite direction, they collapse and act passively so as not to impede the bot's forward locomotion. The case can carry a payload weight as much as 300 grams, which is 13 times its own weight, kind of impressive, and more than enough to haul the average smartphone, which weighs less than 200. Um, however, the case crawler prototype doesn't appear to have any intelligence of its own or the ability to steer. Uh, it simply scampers forward awkwardly in one direction, thanks to its, and no, that wasn't a band reference, thanks to its clever leg design, though. It's not impeded by smaller obstacles in its path, which it can simply crawl over. Eventually, a smartphone it's carrying could provide all the smarts and sensors it needs to intelligently find its way around and navigate an area like a desk without scampering off the edge and then cracking the phone display. Um, Automatically finding a charging pad to top off its battery is one application, but imagine the next time you lost your smartphone. You could simply call to it like a puppy. <laughs> this is where it just goes full-blown, because apparently it's been a slow news day. Uh, and it would come running back to you. It's a future we'd all happily sign up for, even if you're the kind who hates putting their phone in a case. Um, I partially ascribe to that. Um, I don't like putting it in a case, but I understand the importance of it. Um, but I like the thinner the case, the the better. Um, just because. Uh, in, in case you're wondering, there is a YouTube video that goes along with this. The link will be in the show notes. It's called the Case Crawler, a lightweight and low-profile crawling phone case robot. It's quite interesting. It's funny. Uh, but it is, it, it's interesting. Uh, I like the idea that they're thinking of, the angle that they're taking, trying to solve a problem. Um, a lot of applications and ideas that can come out of this. But, yeah, that's a Case Crawler for you. Want to let you know about that. All right. In uh, more bizarre news, uh, apparently floppy disks are still being used to update 747 flight software. Um, 
I wish I could say I was making this up. The proof is right here on the screen. Uh, for garden variety daily computing tasks, the floppy disk has thankfully been a thing of the past for quite some time now. Slow, limited in storage, and easily corrupted. Few yearn for the format to return, even if there is some lingering nostalgia for the disks. As it turns out, though, uh, there is still hardware that relies on floppies, namely the Boeing 747-400, according to the register. The news comes from the work of Pentest Partners, who recently inspected a 747 being retired um, as a result of the current health pandemic. Uh, the floppy disks are used to load navigational databases, which need to be updated regularly every 28 days. Engineers are responsible for loading updates, and they must perform the process manually on the ground. Efforts have been made in some areas to replace the disks with more modern technology. Mm, how long has it been? Okay, sorry. I, I'm going off on a little bit of a rant. I'm kind of containing it. As Aviation Today covered in 2014, legacy aircraft often require updates involving up to eight floppy disks, leading to slow updates that can cause flight delays. So in case you've ever been wondering what in the world's been going on, they're probably booting up the floppy disk drive. <laughs> we finally have an answer to some of the flight delays. As anyone familiar with the reliability of floppy media knows, it only takes one bad disk to ruin everything. Now, while retrofits are possible, it's more likely that airlines will simply stick with the technology until those legacy airplanes are retired. Certifying new hardware for flight is a major cost that is difficult to justify when the current system still works. Uh, it's ironic, I know. Uh, it, it, it boggles my mind. How in the world does the current system still work well enough that we still have floppy disks? And I'm not knocking floppy disks because they definitely had their use. It's just... <sighs> it's it's entertaining. It's 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 entertaining. It's it's funny. It's frustrating. I it it's definitely one of those stories where you don't expect it to just pop up. But here's what we have for today. Uh, yeah, seven forty seven uh, Boeing's uh, still use floppy disk drives. It kind of reminds me of uh, of previous jobs that I worked at where I looked at the technology and I'm like, why in the world are we still running Windows ninety eight? I'm like, oh, because our software works really well on that, and it would be a huge cost to upgrade it to anything more recent. And I'm like, what's more recent? And you're like, Windows 2000. I said, you're like three steps behind the current operating system. Unbelievable. So, what do you guys think? Uh, I'm not... I, it, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> Floppy disks. So, yes, um, in answer to your question, why was my flight delayed... You now have at least a decent answer, which is, well, probably one of the floppy disks drives went bad, uh, and they're having to reboot the flight software with another eight floppy disks. Um, so that's why your flight's been delayed. Um, but I'm hoping and figuring that as these older planes are out and retired, when new craft comes in, we can get an updated system to go along with it that's more efficient and will last longer and is durable. And it's not floppy disk, because that'll help out a lot. Okay, enough ranting about that. Uh, but if you want to rant, feel free to continue. Uh, I'm more than up for the conversation. <laughs> All right, moving on to some gaming news, some exciting news. Uh, did you know that G.I. Joe's been working on a video game? Yeah, I had no idea. I, it just 
among the many other things that just happened this year, um, this happened this year, and it's kind of some good news. I, I like it. Um, it's called G.I. Joe Operation Blackout, and it actually looks surprisingly all right. And if you're wanting to take a look at the video as well, um, I'll be watching it after the show, for those of you interested. Um, and then uh, sharing a little bit more thoughts. I'll share some thoughts now, but as always, show notes, article links, head on over to technewsgadget.net. But uh, yeah, are our eyes deceiving us or is this a perfectly acceptable upcoming G.I. Joe game? The franchise has played host to some stinkers over the years, most notably the Rise of Cobra movie tie-in on the PlayStation 3, and that was just bad. Um, but this all-new effort due out on October 13th looks like a competent, corny adaptation of the legendary franchise. Operation Blackout's campaign will see you play as 12 different characters across 18 missions, divided evenly between Team Joe and Team Cobra. It features an original story inspired by the 80s comics and will take you to a number of iconic locations including Cobra Headquarters and the USS Flag. By the looks of things, it'll adopt a hero-inspired format with each character having different strengths and weaknesses. There'll also be a multiplayer mode featuring popular modes like Capture the Flag, Assault, and King of the Hill. Check out the trailer above, let us know what you think, because some embarrassing voice acting aside, we actually reckon this looks pretty good. Uh, and this comes to us from IGN and Push Square. And in case you're wondering, this looks like a console-only game for now, which means Switch... PlayStation and Xbox, um, no PC. So it looks like a good console button mashing fun, fun game. Um, I did watch the trailer and I do gotta say it has elements of Borderlands, like a Borderlands feel to it, which is fine. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's interesting. I do like how they're kind of taking their own storyline, their own map, their own ideas, uh, adding a couple multiplayer ideas in as well. Uh, Capture the Flag, Assault, King of the Hill. Uh, definitely interesting, definitely promising. That much I will say, but uh, yeah, G.I. Joe, Operation Blackout is go, Joe! Uh, October 13th, it will be dropping. Um, <laughs> I like some of the comments. Uh, yeah, one person was like, why does the animation style look similar to Borderlands? Um... Yeah, so it's, it looks pretty interesting. Um, what do you guys think? Let me know. And then on to our last article of the day. Just double-checking the time here. Uh, PlayStation 4's Ghost of Tsushima is the highest-rated game of this current generation. Um, now, the title was a little bit weird. This is an article f coming to us from Forbes. Um, but the author has been tracking this for a while. And they're ready to make a declarative statement. According to the math, the recent release of Ghost of Tsushima is the most fan-beloved game of the entire generation, at least according to Metacritic's user scores. The best metric we have to track that sort of thing is actually rating at a 83 on Metascore and a user score of 9.3. Um, the user score is based on about 15,000 ratings at this point, and the Metascore is based on 114 critic reviews. Um, what's interesting is that it's general action-adventure open-world game with no online multiplayer, 
which is interesting because now I want to play it. Kind of interesting. Weeks ago, the author reported that Ghost of Tsushima was racking up thousands of reviews and had an impressive 9.3 out of 10 for a user score, which is higher than its critic meta score of 83, which is actually a bit low in the grand catalog of PlayStation 4 releases. Um, so, with that being said, he was kind of expecting a drop, but now with 15,000 reviews in, it is still sitting at a 9.3 out of 10. Looking at how that stacks up against other titles, the author is willing to declare it the highest rated game of the generation with a few caveats. Now, first off, it's the console generation, as in the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and Nintendo Switch, as The Witcher 3 does have a 9.4 out of 10 on PC, although on PS4 it's a 9.2, where it didn't perform quite as well. Second, they do need to give some credit to the Xbox One version of Superliminal, which only has a 9.5, though with 684 ratings. The PlayStation 4 version has a 6. The Switch version has a 9.7 with only 250 reviews. Um, but so declaratively, the settled score of Ghost of Tsushima is more clear, and 9.3 out of 10 is deeply impressive with 15,000 reviews behind it. Um, they're still trying to figure out why critics didn't connect with Tsushima as much as fans did. But I have an answer right there for you, uh, author. Um, it's just how it is. The critics, who knows? They have their reasons, and the fans have their reasons. Uh, it's kind of how it goes for movies. Like, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, when the critics say this movie sucked, and then the fans say movie was great, it was awesome, um, fan favorite, and then they go, what's the disconnect? It happens more often than you'd care to admit. Um, it just means that it connected with the fans, which is what the developers and, and the producers and everyone was shooting for, not the critic score. Um, but uh, in 83 for it, made it only the 17th highest rated PlayStation 4 game of the generation, to say nothing of Xbox and Switch rivals. The most common complaint uh, heard was that it was too repetitive, open world is too shallow, and yet that was just not uh, the author's experience at all playing it. Uh, they personally gave it a 9.5. They could easily see how you would consider Toshima one of the best games of the generation across all platforms. Uh, can't say it's definitively number one, because uh, God of War might be in that number one spot. But yeah, it's definitely up there. Um, but what does that mean for Sucker Punch? Well, Ghost of Toshima 2 at this point... Is almost a guarantee, but would not be surprised to move off that island to a new location in the region. Jin seemed like he has the ability to continue his story, although I think there's another character in the game uh, that might be looking at time to shine as well. Regardless, it's a big deal for PlayStation to end the PlayStation 4 generation with a hit like Tushima. I would expect some sort of enhanced version for the PlayStation 5. I can only imagine it will look even better better with better visuals, hopefully some frame rate, and definitely load time fixes on the better hardware. And they're hoping to hear about that soon. So, for those of you who, who played Ghost of Tsushima, is it a good game? Is it worth playing? It looks good. Um, I'm actually going to take some time to look at it a little bit more. I mean, I knew some games were coming in. I knew gadgets were dropping, just not at the usual rate. Um, this year's just been crazy. Uh, but uh, still, I like being able to take some time to look at some games that are doing well and uh, expectations living up to that as well as gadgets doing well as well and not breaking. So, yeah, uh, I think that's it. But if I missed anything, be sure to let me know. 
With that being said, that wraps up this episode of the Lace and Tech News. Thanks for tuning in. New episodes every weekday, and we are streaming live on Twitch every weekday at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. The Lace and Tech News can be found on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you're watching via YouTube, let us know by clicking that like button and leaving a comment. Also, double-check that you are subscribed so that you don't miss the next episode or hit it in that follow button. I'm your host, Taylor Merrick, and remember, for the latest in tech, gadget, and gaming news, visit technewsgadget.net. Pretty much, keep being awesome, guys, and I'll see you on the flip side.